expressed in the following are those of its participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the producers and the Six Talk Podcast Network. Also, the following contains mature material and mild language, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Discretion is advised. And the podcast is now on the air for this Friday night, August 14th. A couple thousand twenty. This is episode 22 of the Anime Roundtable version 2. Just a quick reminder, if you have any questions, comments, or hate mail, animeroundtable at gmail.com. Twitter and Instagram, at AnimeRoundtable, AnimeRoundtable.com for our show notes and past episodes, and the Discord. Mike Nicholas in the captain's chair at six points. James Austin, Kevin Ng, and Mohamed Shamarki remotely as they have been the last three and a half months pointing the ship in the right direction. So where do we start tonight? Huh. Putting us on the spot here, Mike. <laughs> okay, I'm leading people on. First of all, this is the only time I'll bring up Yakuza in the entire episode. I finished Yakuza 0 when we finished up taping two weeks ago. And I've just been spending the last two weeks leveling up the characters further just to see what else I missed. And I'm thinking about finally starting Yakuza Kiwami sometime in the next day or so. But who knows on that. What was your favorite mini game in Yakuza, Yakuza Zero? Uh, admittedly, uh, I had more f- the most fun with the cabaret challenge. So doing <laughs> the, hostess, the hostess club episode was hilarious. <laughs> oh, and and I think it takes on another layer because of who I know the hostesses are played by. If you know what I mean, we'll need to talk, we'll need to talk about that. this. We'll need to talk about this off the air. Anybody listening who doesn't know what we're talking about, just Google it. It's well, you'll see a lot, guaranteed. Guaranteed. Mm. I mean, I mean, is there any other punchline to that? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. That's good enough. But I'm looking forward to eventually getting a chance to play the other games, for that matter. The other thing I have to mention I finished up within the last couple hours, I finally finished up Terrace House opening new doors, the uh, Karuizawa season, the one that aired before the controversial current season. And I have to say this, in many respects, I could start to see where some of the seeds of eventually all the backlash that happened in the present season would happen. But having said all that, you know, the phrase hindsight is twenty twenty. Yeah. I mean, you, I mentioned, I kind of clamped down on the commentators, how the celebrity commentators like uh, Rena Trindell or you or Yota Yamasato um, really did not help some of the matters. But when I think about that too, it's just, Sometimes, like I said, that's their job to sometimes be a little critical. Ultimately, it's up to other people to think of the uh, context of the of what they see on the television. Try not to get too carried away, and understanding that getting carried away has a, has other and unintended consequences, and that's ultimately 
part of the story with Hannah Kimura. There's a lot more to it, obviously, though. Mm-hmm. But I will say this, and this is as an advertisement for at least the opening new doors season. Towards the latter stages of the of that season, one of the people who come in, one of the house guests who come in, is how would I describe him? Pretty uh, easily becomes one of the more likable characters to have ever graced Terrace House. And he's the antithesis of just about every other person who has ever appeared on it. He's not the best looking guy, certainly not a model. And he already had a certain degree of fame because he's in a well-known band, but just comes under his real name this time around. So he's the, as I said, he's the opposite of just about every other cast member who had appeared on the show to that point. And to be fair to the guy, he was quite honest as to why he was on it. He was looking for love. And in it, you, uh, I ended up seeing the real life embodiment of, you remember the manga Love Roma? Yes, I do. Yep. Essentially, that's what this guy is. He's the real-life main character from Love, Roma, whose name right now I forgot. Such an earnest, honest character. And you end up cheering for him in his pursuit. And not to blow anything about how it ultimately went, but it's at the very end at the, of this particular series. And that was such a good if read. Anything, I'm, yes, that was a hilarious read. And this guy, this guy reminded me of him. Cynically speaking, they may have had him on too, because around the time of his appearance, the leader of the band he came from, he was embroiled in a scandal of some sort. I think an adultery scandal. He had cheated on his wife or something to that effect. And funny enough, that friend or that bandmate appeared quite a bit in those final episodes himself. And he acted a little contrite as well in terms of having to give advice, saying, maybe I'm not the best person to give advice. But I think some reviewers cynically thought it was the band and the leader specifically trying to save face too. So this was a PR stunt. But I think the presence of this band made the uh, final episodes a little bit more interesting and kind of broke some of the tension that had also started to develop during that season. And that's the tension that also kind of uh, spilled over in many respects or the related type of tension that ultimately would dog the Mm. following season, at least the tone. But... It was a fun watch. I will watch the last season. The other part is, and this is another foreshadow, as the as this season ended, they said, we're going to have another season. We can't go without another seeing another season. Obviously, that next season did happen, but I'm not totally sure you could say that now, that there'll be another season of this yeah. With all that's happened. So, as I said, you watch this with a hindsight is twenty twenty type attitude, knowing what would eventually happen to the franchise later. If you're a Terrace House fan, that's sort of the tough part of about watching 
these older episodes. There was actually a podcast that was dedicated to reviewing the show and being a fan of it. I will try to make it a point to put a link to that in the show notes when this episode goes up. So those are two of my thoughts already, uh, just to start to break the ice. What about you guys? Anything of note this week or within the last day or so? I started reading a manga called Kaiju Number 8. And Monster. Yes. Right. It's a newer Shonen Jump series, and it is in Shonen Jump Plus in Japan, so within the same magazine as Spy Family, which is another very popular series that came out from that side of Shonen Jump as of late. And I think they have a winner here. The The main character is pretty likable. And the way that they're setting up the series right now, I really think it can go far. Like, Okay. There's a bit of a twist in the beginning, which I won't explain, but I think they have a good cast of characters. And I like the premise. It's... Because it starts off as, like, you have the people that kill the kaiju, and then you have the people who clean up the messes after the fact. Hmm. And so it kind of plays that angle for a little while. And, yeah, you don't really think about that when you watch any, like, regular kaiju film. One way to put it. But, but But it becomes, it looks like it's going to be more than that in short order. Okay. Uh, Kaiju number eight, was it? Yes. Okay. That sounds... Yeah, it's on the... It's on the Shonen Jump app, and uh, most of the chapters are free. First three chapters are always free, and then the latest three chapters are free, but because chapter seven came out this week, chapter four is not available for free anymore. But you know how it goes. Yeah, I think I do. Thanks a lot, Kevin. Mo, James, do you want to add anything you want to plug at the moment? Or should we just get right to it? I think we should get to it, right? James? You're, you're uh, never, the only or, thing I was watching is I've gotten back into a show that came back from COVID was the Noitamina, the Millionaire Detective Belts Unlimited. So that's Which I've, I've heard of that, yes. And that but, one, the creator, it's interesting because it's based off a novel by uh, Yatsutaka um, oh, Sutsu, I can't pronounce the last name, it's just escaping me, but he um, had also written Paprika and the Girl Who Left Bruton. And oh, yes. some of his books had been obviously translated and brought over to uh, North America. Now, Millionaire Detective wasn't, but this is the first time seeing it. So it's interesting. And they've definitely modernized it because this was based off a book written in the seventies and technology wasn't quite the same back then. Basically it's one guy, there are two cops and one is very rich and is using money to solve all his problems where the other guy is rough and tumble, uh, regular cops. So, and they're going off each other, so to speak. It was, is it on Funimation? Correct. It's on Funimation. So I've, I've been, been seeing a bit of a promo for that. I mean, I've, I've seen them really putting on the press. 
but they did two episodes, I guess, in April. Then COVID hit, they stopped, and then uh, they started up again at the end of uh, July. So it's been fun to watch. I think they said they were going to try to get a dub for it as well. And it's an Aniplex one, so who knows how they're going to release it, if it's going to be an Aniplex uh, Funimation combo, I guess. It could be. Well, you know we're going to be talking, well... We're going to be talking more Anaplex and Funimation and their parent company a bit later on. Okay, let's get right to it then. The meat of the episode. Late Saturday night, Kevin alerted me on the Tatsuya Matsuki story, simply saying, quote, Time for me to step in your shoes a la Ruroni Kenshin. So the story writer of Act Age was arrested a week ago on suspicion of performing an indecent act with a minor. He basically confessed to it when police figured out it wasn't an isolated incident. And the fallout has been both spectacular and fairly expected. Act Age has already been canceled, among other things. So right now, the first thing that comes to mind is, I think by default, this weekend for Mr. Matsuki is already better than last weekend. But let's talk about this for a little bit. Kevin, this, I, I could sense, kind of tore you up a little bit. <sighs> Am I right in saying that? First of all, let me just, okay, I'm going to give you a deep breath, and let me just quickly say this about my memory of the Watsuki thing. Watsuki was caught with child porn, I think, in 2017, was it? I think, If memory serves me right, it was 2017. I didn't know about it, actually, until long after it had happened. And remember, this was just as I was starting to dive back in to keeping up with the anime world to some degree and eventually bringing back this podcast. But really, I didn't know about it until long after the fact. And by that point... It wasn't really much of a story, but the fall and the fallout had long happened. This one, this one's a little bit more raw, though. I think for you, um, yeah, I'm assuming too much. Uh, it's a it's a little raw for me. Go ahead. I mean, reactions. Give me a thought. Where to start here? I was gonna save most of this for. If slash when I was going to do a solo recording, because that was my intention. But okay, well, do you want to save it for that solo recording, or do you want to put, or do you want to at least preview it here? Well, to put it bluntly, I was not happy, and I I'm not happy that he went and did that. And sabotaged not only his own career, but Shiro Uzasaki's career. Yes, that seems to be where a lot of the sympathy is for, actually, since the official news of the cancellation happened a few days later. So basically Monday, I guess. I would say of the weekly titles, Act Age was my favorite series. Currently running, quote unquote. Well, not anymore. But well, when it was context, yes. when it was running weekly, it was my favorite series. I read Shonen Jump alphabetically for the sake of 
<laughs> just, it just dawned upon me where Act H kind of sits on the uh, Western alphabet. But, but if I was reading Weekly Shonen Jump based on what I wanted to read right away because I liked it, Act Age would have been first, regardless. Well, Act Age is uh, is first in at least, as I said, the Western alphabet too. Because I would say. Uh, Recent favorites in my magazine or in the magazine would have been that at Eight Gravity Boys and Mashal. And I do like We Never Learn as well. And of course, One mm. Piece. But Act Age really stood out for having a female protagonist that had depth and had a story behind her, was not over-sexualized, and no actually there were several female characters that were prominent in that series, and you know, they were not one-dimensional. That's exceedingly rare in Shonen Jump. So have- move away from the archetype. Yes, and it it stood out for also not being a stereotypical action series. Now, the characters do fight in the sense that, you know, they're performing with each other and it's the it's the moments while they're acting and in between different scenes is when you see some tension and you see you know the the battle, so to speak, but at the same time, with much of the cast and much of the staff between different shows and different performances, there is a sense of camaraderie there. And it's kind of rare to just see like a whole group of people, you know, being friendly with each other or being more or less like pleasant with each other, but still being competitive and wanting to be the lead actor or actress, or I'm going or telling each other, like I'm going to be the one who's going to be the next great persona or actress or whatever. Like there, of course (laughs) those elements are there, but it, it really stood out. Like having all these things together, I feel like it did resonate with some people and it was gaining momentum. And and now that's no longer the case. Well, first of all, let's sort of go back to Miss Usazaki. We mentioned one person to really feel sorry for. Act Age, as, as its fans know, is actually a two-person act, so to speak. It's both Tatsuya Matsuki, who's the story writer, and... Shiro Usazaki, who's the artist, if I'm not mistaken? Yes. Correct. And that's where the most of the sympathy is. Right? And James kind of hinted to me a little bit that there's there was some, some tension there. There was um how do I put this? I don't know where I've heard this, but rumor has it that the two of them didn't get along that well. And that's that was what I was hearing case. too, and that she unfollowed him on Twitter at some point this year. Unfollowed so, him. 
So there's breadcrumbs to be sure. That's for sure. I mean, once again, we're t- taking the hindsight is 2020 uh, look at this. There are other things that, like this was an uneasy partnership, seemingly, or at least not the most warm partnership. And how about this? Maybe she probably working with him probably saw more things that us as the general public wouldn't see. And now the veil has kind of been unfurled, so to speak. So, Yeah, that's that's an interesting way to put it. Especially since since the scandal broke, there's been other not so flattering thoughts given on Matsuki's habits. So our news twenty four kind of published an interesting one. Oh really? Yes. I don't uh, think I'm aware of this. Manga writer arrested for groping groping wanted to make a series stimulating for guys who like young girls, quote unquote. Wait, a uh, interesting little headline. I'm going to put that in the chat notes for you right now, Kevin. So you can probably peruse that, that as we're uh, talking about it. I guess, as we said, the other one that a few people are making note of online too was his one author's uh, comment. I'm not sure which uh, Jump magazine he put it in, but talking about how I just need a bicycle I can socially distance on and all my hobby needs will be met. And now people are looking at those type of comments and thinking, holy smokes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So there was seemingly a pattern of at least odd <clears throat> behavior, if not suspicious or bad. And the crazy thing is you just wonder how you think people can get away with this because they had CTV or CCTV cameras everywhere. And that's basically how they caught it. They went through that CCTV footage. And that's where they figured out. And then he made the infamous comment, uh, of course, where he basically says uh, that, oh, here it is. It says, there's generally nothing incorrect when he talked to the police. That's what (laughs) he did. And you think about that and you're like, wow, of all the ones we've seen, the scandals from Jump or any of the others, I don't think we've seen anything as blunt as that that's what i call a slam dunk you don't get sympathy after that he admitted it he he admitted it essentially the only thing i can say is he got slam dunked all right i think i and i'm saying that for the third time you know what name comes up when we talk about other people who kind of got hurt in the crossfire or kind of got screwed up for some strange reason, I think of Louis C.K. Whoa, come mm. on, come on. No, no. No, it's a, it's a stretch. Well, no. Oh, now Muhammad's talking. Yeah, now Muhammad's <laughs> talking. Yeah. In out. In out. This, is, this is sort of like, this is the offshoots. Or, and I, I know this is a stretch because you know I'm good at stretches, Mo. Bell and uh, Studio Ghibli. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Louis C.K., at the time his scandal broke, and I forgot exactly how many years ago that was. I think it's two years ago, maybe three. I thought it was uh, a bit further than that, yeah, but maybe yeah, it was at, at, at least three years. Four. At least three years. Yeah, three or four. Three years ago. When, that, when that scandal broke out, he was in the process of creating and making an animated series based on his stand up work. And as the scandal wrapped him up and chewed him up and spit him out, as you might have expected, 
that that animated show got canceled and a good handful of people who had been working on that series ended up losing their jobs and around that time we heard from there were like articles and interviews with some of the people who were on that production about how much the scandal had hurt them. So that's who I think of when I think of somebody like Shiro Usazaki in the fandom to some degree too. That's that's the that's the parallel I start thinking of because Act Age is one is is kind of unique in the sense that it's two people involved with it. There are titles that are here that have more than one name to the byline, right? Yeah, and sometimes a lot of the ones for manga are they are probably based off a light novel that had been released before, something like that. And so this one was a manga first and foremost so that's kind of an interesting thing in itself that mm -hmm. it started off as a manga and it was a joint effort between two people utena was the first title that i became aware of where it, would, it was a joint effort uh chiho saito kunaiko ikuhara and so this this concept is not totally new to me it's been a while since i had been since i was made aware of a title personally or knew about a title personally. So if one domino falls, a lot more end up falling behind. And that's the thing about these type of scandals too. Like a lot of legacies can get hurt in the, uh, who had nothing to do with it. And that's, that's it. Okay, you want, me, you want me to give you another stretch mo on somebody who got, who got hurt by somebody else's scandal? Do it, do it. Let's hear it. Okay, Jeffrey. I think his name was. Um... No, come on! Don't say that. Who do you think I'm about to refer to? <laughs> Jeffrey Epstein. No, no, no. Um, Jeffrey Owens. <laughs> He's the guy who played. Oh my god! The guy who played Sandra's uh, husband in the Cosby Show. Oh yeah. Remember, remember when one? they? Yeah. Remember when they caught him a couple years ago bagging groceries and somebody wanted to out him for that? What is yeah. he doing? They're doing all that that type of stuff. Wasn't he an actor? Wasn't he an actor in one of the most beloved sitcoms of the eighties and nineties? Well, people need to eat. Well, yeah, Dude. and that's his line. People need to eat. I'm not ashamed of it, but he also admitted since the Cosby Show, he hadn't gotten a regular acting job. Mm -hmm. At least part that had lasted longer, like anywhere close to the gig he had, and it was it was really just a the odd appearance type thing until the later seasons on the Cosby show. And at best he, he could hope for any royalties from re-airings of the show, but then Bill Cosby ended up getting into trouble and nobody wanted to air the Cosby show so much for the royalties. And it's not as if this other actor was getting anything out of it uh, to start anyway, getting too much. As I said, scandals, they hurt more than just one person. They hurt more. They, they, they really do hurt. So I'm, I'm beginning to think, uh, what will happen to Mr. 
Matsuki in the future. That's another part of the conversation we had, Kevin, right? Mm -hmm. Can he lay low for a little while? And can he return? I'm wondering if these times, the whole Me Too era, will make that a bit difficult. For reference, Watsuki was able to return, although his, although his uh, Kenshin continuation was canceled in North America. It's still going. It's still, still going in Japan. And then Toriko's creator got to come back as well. So a lot of them have been really lucky on Jump, but I think this time, I think Jump's going to take a hit if they do what they've done before. Kevin, the other name you brought up was Mitsutoshi Shimabukuro. Right? Mm -hmm. Yes, that's... In 2002. That was a long time ago. 18 years ago. He got caught embroiled in a scandal... uh, (laughs) In a scandal as well. Jeez. But he's still, he's kicking around again. 2008, he, he returned. Yeah, so he created Toriko, which became a massive hit in Japan. Uh, not so successful here, but but it was, you know, it went for a good 40-something volumes in Japan and hasn't really done anything since. He's done the odd one-shot. Mm-hmm. Didn't he, he, didn't he have a series that also ran until recently or a couple of years ago? No. Like a couple of years that ran for a couple no, of years? I don't think so. No. Okay. But I, I thought I read that in at least the wiki. Although Not it's the to wiki. my knowledge, at least. Okay. But this one could be different. Well, okay. Maybe I won't do that solo recording after all, since we're going to just talk about it all now. But. In this case, Motsky was not as established because Act Age was still a little over two years old at this point. Mm-hmm. Two and a half, give or take. Whereas with Watsky. Of course. Remember the whole. Well, that, that was established. Kenshin was an established title. You can't really cancel, really cancel it and trying to erase the whole history. Because it was a it was a tier one title. Ken, Kenshin came out at a time when, like, several big Shonen Jump series were ending in the early to mid nineties, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So that was their that was one of their flagship titles during the nineties, and it's a beloved title in Japan. And let's not forget that. The Roroni Kenshin movies, the second set of those movies, were set to come out as well, or at the very least, were in the works. I I heard the timeline. They are. They were set to come out this year. Those have been delayed because of the COVID uh, pandemic, but they were set. Yes. So, once again, we we talk about money because the Kenshin movies are massively popular in Japan and cater to the general audience, the masses. I don't think Shueisha would have wanted to risk all that money going down the toilet. And because Watsuki is, you know, you know, is, is well known in their stable they probably felt the need 
to protect him. Hmm. And, and we also have to realize that uh, at that time in Japan, child pornography was still legal. It's okay. disgusting, but it was still obtainable. Hmm. And in the case of Shimabukuro as well, we have to stress that he was unaware or allegedly was unaware that she was a minor. That scandal, yes. And she was a sex worker. And it was... It was, uh, how do I put this? It was two people consenting to what they were going to do. So, feels like the first episode of Californication. (laughs) So, in that sense, (laughs) like you can, while while it's skeevy as hell, you can understand Shimabukuro. Uh, you You can see that there's like, a devil's advocate point that you can make there. It wasn't as if like he picked the girl up from like a park or whatever. Yeah. And, and, and the other thing too is his series at the time was in weekly Shonen jump. So it got canceled. Whereas with Watsky's new, new Roroni Kenshin manga, it was in jump square, if I'm not mistaken. So, so not a, not the major, not the big yeah, one, not, yeah. not the flag. Okay. Well, got a couple seconds here. Do you have a thought where you think this will eventually go? For like, what's next for Mister? Um, what's next for Mister Matsuki? I don't think he comes back. Like, period. Not none of this. Couple years down the road, we'll hear from him again. Nope. Don't see it. I don't. Think I don't he comes see back. it. Yeah, given what we explained and saw that the evidence is pretty much against him and he has admitted it straight to our faces and irrefutable. I have me I'm also wondering if there's a degree of contriteness to that admission. I mean, we 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 can't we haven't heard him actually talk. It just doesn't sound like he's apologetic about it. Well, I guess some of it is we're looking at some of the other statements we saw way before that. And some of the ones you mentioned, like from his Twitter and the one that he made in his author's comment and weekly jump and stuff like that. And when you kind of add it all together, it doesn't lead to a good picture of how do you bring this person back? Because I don't know if he's contrite at all. And even if he does, quote unquote, come and become apologetic, how seriously should we take that? Because mm-hmm. I wouldn't. Okay. Well... Kevin, I'm sure if there's something that else that comes up, you'll let us know. Oh, I guess we should also acknowledge uh, Miss uh, Usazaki. What's next for her? She's young. Poor yeah. woman. Yeah. Poor woman. Yeah, she's 23 uh, or so. So I think she was really young when she began. But hopefully 22. they can help. Her. Okay, so younger than I thought, even than that. But still, expect it. I think that's I think the one we can expect to hear from again. The one thing is hopefully they can train her and maybe she can get some ideas maybe to get better at writing and stuff like that and maybe launch her own manga or something like that. Because obviously on the art front, she's talented. It's just a matter if she wants to 
do some other things. Maybe she wants to do her writing. So the sky could be the limit for her because she's still young and she's got talent in one area and maybe just work on other areas. And we can only be hope. there to support her. We yeah, can only hope. Because I'm sure some people will like to see what she does next, right? So no, I think uh, at least she'll have some and, people that'll and, lend an ear and uh, she can maybe take that somewhere good, hopefully. She has the support looking at just perusing online after after the cancellation of Act Age, all the all the sympathy was with her. I think. And so, just uh, summing yeah. up, uh, so the just to, inf to for general information's sake, the last chapter, which I believe is chapter one hundred twenty three, uh, I don't remember if it did hit the magazine in Japan, but. Uh, it did not come out in English on I think the Weekly Shonen Jump app or Manga Plus. Uh, Viz has dropped it. Uh, you can no longer buy Act Age on Right Stuff. And the there was about 20 chapters or 18 chapters that were supposed to be backfilled, translated as the volumes came out. That's not going to happen anymore. And uh, if you want to read the last chapter, you'll have to read it illegally. Yeah, because the, it came out in Japan, but they said they're not going to release it here in English. They've been pretty much, yep. you're done. They weren't going to give anything yep. more. any, And it's too bad, as we said, for the artist. But it's like, and, and, and just people started, physically, as they said, last month in July and stuff like that. And as you said, they had started on the digitally before that. So. Mm -hmm. And and for I, people I who are unaware, that. and for people who are unaware, there I've seen a lot of talk saying, "Oh, why can't they replace the writer?" Well, it doesn't work that way in Japan in most cases. So, because Motsuki has, because Motsuki is one of the creators, it's you can't really just replace the writer like you can in a Western comic. And there's the rights you, issue. Could there yeah. be a rights issue, or is it just a? It could be that, and then it's just the thing a of tradition. getting um, getting the series and the plan off the ground. Because the one I think of when I think of this issue, and it's a different thing altogether, is High School of the Dead. That manga, because mm -hmm. unfortunately, in that case, it was uh, the writer uh, Daisuke uh, Sato, I believe, or yeah, it was him that passed away, I believe. And then uh, the artist that was illustrating for that one, um, Shoji uh, Sato for that one, I believe um, I was doing that. He said that he tried to think of a way and all that stuff, but he just couldn't figure a way to continue the series and stuff like that. And, and that he might have been able to do it because he has his own manga and stuff like that called Triage X that he was doing on the side and now that's his main thing instead of also doing high school of the dead since the writer in that case had passed on but he waited and he tried and he said he just couldn't do it like sometimes that comes into effect too right like i guess yep. it's that melding of two forces right and if one of them is gone sometimes you just can't there's a vacuum hmm. okay and also also um It's interesting to see, well, I guess it, it makes sense, because even if 
even if the writer could have been replaced, Usazaki would have had the first right of refusal on whether or not she would even want to continue it in the first place. And clearly she didn't. And there is no mention of ActAge on her Twitter account now. If you go to her Twitter account, all it says is, I'm a manga artist. Well, let's look forward to her upcoming work. I hope Jump Treats are right. Yeah. Or maybe we'll see her in another publication. Who knows? Hopefully Suasia treats her right then. Two thoughts before I, uh, we end the segment. Mo, you're there? Roger that. Still here. Thank you. <laughs> Two quick thoughts. One, Kevin, if you still want to do a, so, uh, a solo mini on this one, and on my mind, whatever we call it, do it. It's just, uh, it'll nicely summarize what we just talked about. Nothing wrong with that. Second, I am going to quote Diamond Joe Quimby when he toasted his nephew in that infamous episode of The Simpsons. <laughs> Happy birthday, young nephew. And may all your embarrassments and scandals be private. With that in mind, let's take the break. When we come back, well, we did hint we want to talk about Anaplex and Funimation. Well, more specifically, we want to talk Sony. Rhymes with Boney. It's the Anime Roundtable on the Six Talk Podcast Network. Okay, just quickly. Yes, the actor's name was Jeffrey Owens. He played Elvin on The Cosby Show. And he made news a couple years ago when he was just caught with the groceries. Good story with him. He handled that like a champ because some people tried to drag him through the mud in the media on that one. It's not a scandal, but it really, it's somebody else that should have looked silly. Anyway, the podcast now continues on this Friday evening, August 14th, 2020. Nicholas, Austin, Ng, Shamarki, once again, continuing the conversation with you. Online via the Six Talk Podcast Network, official podcast Anime North. Those Cosby Show, Louis C.K. examples in the first block was a bit of a stretch, wasn't it? Yes. <laughs> yes, they were. I thought it put things into some perspective or it gave some food for thought on the what happens when these type of scandals well, for happen. For whatever audience we do have, Mike, I think the Cosby Show could be dating us because how many people can even remember that? Although Cosby himself, people were well aware of, I'm sure. No, of course. So, second segment. Let's uh, get on to the other big topic we want to talk about. On Sunday, James sent me this interesting article from the Nikkei Asian Review about Sony's updated strategy going forward. Perhaps it wouldn't come as a huge surprise that Sony now wants its animation operations to become the fourth pillar of its entertainment business, along with music, games, and movies. And 
how nicely that snowballs. Just as quickly as I saw this article, news came out through various outlets earlier this week that Warner Media is now looking to sell Crunchyroll for at least a billion dollars US, although seemingly that price tag has been bumped up on Sony when they were given the first look at it. Yeah, it's like we saw with Funimation, of course, where they were given these higher numbers than what it actually sold for to try and get people interested and get the tires kicked, so to speak, because they were doing $1.5 billion to Sony, and that meant that their subscribers were worth $500 US per subscriber. And that was way more than what they had previously valued them at, I think, in um, previous reports where it was at $400 per subscriber. So who knows? Like, it's whatever the market will bear, right? But it'll be interesting to see who they are able to kick the tires with. Maybe Comcast and Universal will try to get into uh, the anime uh, market in the U.S. and into that. To sort of market because remember that's the one everyone thought Funimation was going to be sold to because they had quite a few executives that were hired that were from Universal and they were the ones I think they actually are still distributing Funimation's physical discs Universal which is still interesting considering they're now Sony they didn't that, no it's interesting that like yeah I never thought of how Universal could play out in this scenario that's an interesting one let's go back to that well where do we want to start with this story, do we want to start with the business strategy side of it, or do we want to start with the more recent e- events in this with Crunchyroll? You mean we're not going to start? start? We're not going to start when Crunchyroll, the pirate site, and now they're evaluated at a billion dollars. Billion dollars? No, I, I feel no, like that's no, the- Kevin. That's a lie that people told their children. Don't believe that. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure when I was giving them money, it was to the scanlators and to the fan subbers. That's who I was giving the money to. They were nice people. Yes, they were. When you were giving, especially if you did give them money. Let's start on the. Let's start with the article, James, because that that that's that was fascinating. I read that just before we came on the air tonight. And some of and- that, um, I think, uh, ties into this being a big year. For Sony and them revving up for the PS5 and many people have been talking about that right because they were silent for so long till about June when they just blew the lid open of okay this these are the games this is what the PS5 looks like and here we go and stuff like that now we still don't have a price but I'm sure that will come soon but it all ties in together and stuff like that as we say yeah, and there's there's that buzz concerning PS5. Even Xbox is kind of on board with that. Yeah, I, th- I think they've just given up this entire uh, generation cycle. <laughs> Could be. Well, they're going for a different Wait, when the head of, when the head of for sure because they're like, you can play it on your Xbox One and you can play it on your Series X. We don't care. Mm-hmm. So it feels like they're blurring the lines whereas Sony's saying, this is the PS5, this is the next big thing. But the funny thing about it, too, on that thing, speaking of Sony companies, is on the technological side, because remember, Sony is still selling tech. So the new TVs they're selling, they were looking at some of them, and even the ones that may come in the fall, and it might not take full advantage, some of their TVs, of the PS5, which is kind of ironic. You know what I mean? Because they're saying, 
oh, you got to do HDR, you got to do the 4K, you got to do this and that, right? So, mm, UHD. But it's kind of almost like the old, uh, remember when it was like we were doing 1080p and we were doing 720p and most people didn't know the difference and people were like, well, which TV am I getting, right? It could be almost that situation just to take full advantage of the tech you're getting because it's going to be expensive to get a PS5 and you want it to look the best it can, right? If you're getting something that expensive. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair statement. I mean, you had me thinking, and I guess this is a good way to start that, start this part of the, the story. Sony, and how it's evolved over time, especially over the last 25 years. Basically, the lifespan of the PlayStation, because like Sony, for the longest time, was a consumer electronics company. They still do them. It doesn't seem to figure as highly as it used to. Still there, but movies are now that big, uh, a big thing for them. Over over those twenty five years, everything under that entertainment umbrella became more the thing to for Sony. And kind of moving parallel with it was the animation operations. Back to Roni Kenshin. Roni Kenshin figures a lot into the into my, the way I look at it into this discussion tonight, but. Roni Kenshin to me, that was when the anime came out for that in the mid to late 90s. It was the first time I was ever exposed to the fact that Sony had its own production house for animation. I think it wasn't their first, but at the very least, it was the first time I knew about it. And then they tied it in all like it, it tied in with a lot of other aspects of Sony's burgeoning entertainment side and then you have the music as well too music, so of you course. Have that. and where how far back can we date uh, sony's movie aspirations especially when they bought columbia and tristar i would say yeah that's when it started was the early 90s late 80s but especially in the early 90s because they bought all those old uh, movie uh, makers in California, no, they started they, ramping up, getting the content, stuff like that, and getting people that knew that area from California. Mm-hmm. And then you have um, what happened between Nintendo and Sony in regards to the CD add-on for the SNES and how yes, that coming back to fell the... through because uh, the head of Nintendo back then, of course, uh, basically yeah, did not want... Uh, to give away all that money to Sony on the discs and stuff like that. And just pretty much in front of them said, guess what deals done. We're going to Phillips and that left them scarred to say the least. And so there were a lot of internal discussions and there were a lot of people against going into the gaming industry and stuff like that on their own. And uh, the father of the PlayStation fought hard and was a very unique character in that company. Very, uh, not like most uh, Japanese engineers or business people or anything, and fought to say, we can do this and let's go F Nintendo up and show them and what they, we're and, made of. And over the last 25 years, in many respects, that's what's happened. And they wanted to show the tech and all that too. So there's a lot of multi thing, but they uh, came out guns a blazing and mm-hmm. they've wrote it ever since. Now, sometimes. That can hurt them, and we've seen that at the beginning of the PS3 era and stuff like that, where they said, here's our tech, but you had to pay for it. But who knows how it'll be going forward, because they definitely learned from that and were humble with the PS4, and then they got uh, a lot of people in, that's for sure. And 
going parallel with all that was the like less it was more on the content side and then the, the slow shift started to happen away from their electronics like their televisions like their walkmans like i'm doing this podcast wearing a, a pair of sony headphones and that might be the only major sony electronic piece i hold uh, playstation aside right now so that like that's what sony on the electronics side has sort of become over all all these years later it's not a necessarily a bad thing there it's the way the business has evolved but how you and the other interesting part is how you had the each of these entertainment pillars and that's a, a theme that's brought on in the asian nikkei article you have now four entertainment pillars, but in some ways, the inter the, those pillars kind of tied into each other. In the PS2 era, like you, like you hinted at, James, the PS2 era, that's sort of where the DVD really started to take off. And that's and what I was saying, is they kind of had this vision, I know that uh, Bill Gates talked about it too, that you'll have that Trojan horse, that box in your living room, and it'll do pretty much everything for you. And then for a lot of people, that's their phone and stuff like that now. But you can still get that out of a video game system, whether it's your Xbox or your PlayStation. Because yeah, you can do your streaming, you can do your gaming, you can play your movies and stuff like that. And as we alluded to on the PS2, for anime, like when a lot of people were getting their discs and stuff like that back then, the big thing that people were playing it on was the PS2 and stuff like that. That's what was helping them drive those sales and stuff like that because people had a ps2 and it's funny thinking back to it that if you were testing discs on all these things probably they would go to a ps2 first because that's what most of your customer base uh, would probably be playing it on and it's funny thinking if reader die was the one where i remember manga entertainment released that way back it was like 2002 and that it, you could play it fine anywhere else but it had an issue playing on PS2s, so a lot of people had problems. Fushigi Yugi, I think, had a, had a similar issue. Well, I vaguely remember this. So, but and then that's of course, the that... point. and then and then it shifted a little bit, obviously, to the smartphones in the last ten years. And we also had the Blu-rays. So the PS3, even though the start wasn't great, it definitely probably helped to get people into Blu-rays and stuff like that mm -hmm. too. No, so I'm not the, sure, as we said, with the new Ultra Blu-rays, the 4K ones, even though that's going to be supported on the next-gen systems, obviously I don't think it'll have the same effect because now we have streaming and play now, of course. Right, and, and downloads. And the fast-forward things, and then the phones, of course, which Sony hasn't been as big on and on the technology side. That's, that's belonged to Apple and Samsung and maybe a few others. But Wildly. they can still use their technology, as they said in the article, to help out uh, some of the companies below them and that people they have bought. Like I know Funimation, for example, some of the good things about buying that for them was they got really good at dubbing stuff and short order and stuff like that and doing the simul dubs in English. And so using that workflow was a benefit for them. But now with COVID and stuff, they had to kind of scale back but they were able to probably ramp up faster than other people because Sony probably helped them on getting that equipment, getting that technological know-how, maybe to help them do more remote uh, recordings and stuff like that. 
Mm-hmm. Let's fast forward this now. And I, 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 your technology line is actually well taken because of recordings and stuff. But let's go. I, I have a more cultural slant on that. But there was one line in the article that especially caught my attention. I'm going to read that right now. Sony has traditionally given group companies a long leash when it comes to content and services, but this approach has resulted in some inefficiencies as its units tend to buy overseas businesses without coordination. And first of all, my first blush has me thinking once again back to the whole missed opportunities with Bell and Crave and the whole Studio Ghibli thing. And you know how I like to stretch because I did that earlier in this episode. And in many respects, I still stand by that, the stretch I made with uh, Bell in relation to that. But only because that line kind of illustrates my feelings. No coordination. Sony wants to reel in their lack of coordination. And I think that's it's that lack of coordination I think could hurt Bell at the very least. And we saw some of that. They mentioned in the article and we had talked about the weird buying and we're like oh that was a different division that's why that happened because anaplex bought uh, madman which was uh the australian uh, anime distributor and stuff like that in 2017 but then of course it was sony pictures television networks the american unit that bought funimation and stuff like that and, and then there's until last year that they kind of coordinated the whole mess together and mm-hmm. they're all under Which one umbrella, all- and they also added Manga UK into the mix too. So. And Wakan and Wakanim, the uh, strange, uh, the French, French yes. provider. Yep. Kevin, um, oh Mo, did you want to say something? Well, I mean, it's the Sony bit makes sense. You know, everything's all vertically integrated, right? I mean, it's it's just one extension of their already monopolistic arms, right? I mean. Mm-hmm. Producing anime fits right into their games, which is into their movies, into their music. It all kind of just works, right? It all connects. And coming back to the whole technology thing, because they, you talked a bit about, you know, dubs, actors with technology. Because remember, we talked culturally about how Japanese voice actors are always in the same room doing their recordings. And because of it, they also play off each other. And in, in times of COVID, it's kind of tough to do. So they're they're trying to improve the technology to try and replicate that that routine, but in some respects, it's also starting to come a little bit closer to the way Western dubs are done. So it'll be interesting to see how COVID eventually figures into the way Japanese seiyuu will eventually go about their work. In many respects. Maybe that's uh, the one thing that Western voice actors are able to adapt a little faster to, or rather, they had, they were equi- more quickly able to adapt because, in some respects, that routine was already there. Yeah, there there definitely was routines on our side that would be better in this type of situation compared to Japan, where they were all together in a group. And that, but the other thing I'm thinking of. Another uh, part of the article from the uh, Nikkei uh, review, and it's a very key thing too for Sony, is that they talk about it this way. They said, Sony is not looking just at the entertainment side of anime, but the residuals too. Successful productions generate loyal fans, making the intellectual properties that rivals can't exploit. 
related to merchandise, movies, games, music can turn into vast revenue streams and stuff like that. And we talk about that in other areas too. Like for example, in games, you can think of that for Nintendo where people kept on harping on them for that. And now they're getting into it. They're taking all that intellectual property that everyone loves and then exploiting it in other revenue streams and stuff like that. And it can be a long tail if you do it right. Maybe, maybe it's a a bit of a wonder. They, it it took them this long to realize it. The, anime and manga merchandising side has always been a thing that's 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 a that's a essential part of the fandom and the ecosystem but i think on a bigger scale that's definitely for them because we know obviously we're only so big in anime but to grow it to an even greater degree i think to make it more mass markets like if think they in- find the right property like it's the fate or the demon slayer is what they're looking at demon slayer is the one they mentioned in the article because which it's and, but that also ties into maybe one other part of of this whole thing remember when we said or when i said during the ps2 era the video games tied in with the movie side but now Twenty years, almost twenty years later, the video games are tying into the established fourth pillar a little bit more, the anime animation side. Remember, there's that ar- there's uh, that argument, or at least I make it that there's a lot of overlap between the mar- between the consumer base of both video games and the animation. I would say that's true, and I think the anime boom that we saw in the early aughts in the late nineties when it started for North America and in the West. Some of that comes from the early video games, the NES and the Super NES and stuff like that. Because remember, when people when we thought of games and great games, we thought of games from Japan. And we got to learn that cultural DNA so that as we got older and you search out more things, it's like we were more accepting of anime and other uh Things that had that cultural DNA. And on top of that, 20 years, once again, coming back to that same consumer base, those consumers are now 20 years older and might have a little bit more money to spend in the process. Mind you, mind you, maybe they're 20 years older and also have families and maybe that's where most of the money's going too. But the money is there if you are able to Make them want to spend it on you, and that pot- and they've kind of nurtured that over time. One hundred percent. So this change in strategy is an attempt to further cash in on that, and then maybe hope that those people, that cons- those consumers who they nurtured twenty years ago, will nurture it to their kids. Okay, let's change gears and then look at the other side of this story and come back to Crunchyroll. Where do we where do we start with that? It's a pretty straight play that AT&T basically cares about money. one thing. Now, COVID kind of threw a loop into it and I think that might have accelerated some plans because when they bought all these companies and that includes like Warner Crunchyroll, we got DC, we got a lot of things tangled in. They have a lot of debt. They have to pay off. Yeah. So anything profitable, they're going to either sell off or they're going to 
cut down on certain things. The only sacred cow I think that is there is HBO and HBO is all they wanted from, I think, uh, Warner or for whoever it was before, because that's what they think is going to drive their business and drive people, I guess, to their platform, because that is the content provider they want and think is the most profitable. HBO and basically Max, of course, you know, use it to and HBO Max will be their streaming service. Probably. You know what this is reminiscent of? Go ahead. This reminds me of when Navarre owned Funimation. And hmm. at the time, correct me if I'm wrong, but Funimation was the only profitable division of Navarre. Yeah, because they were distribution and stuff like that. And so originally when they bought them, it's like it kind of makes sense and stuff like that. But then, as you said, it kind of unraveled as we went into this digital age, as they say. And remember who bought Funimation back? Gen Fukunaga. But he had a few billionaire friends, Kevin. Yeah. And guess what? They buy it for even less. Exactly. Sold it for, it's like, he's got his lucky horseshoes. I tell him that. It's like, I've, I've, one con I remember someone was making this point about that similar thing, and I said, you know what? You shouldn't really be bitter because all the power to him. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like he's the only one in the anime industry in the U.S. that found a way to come out the other side clean and get some money out of it. And some of it no, was luck. Some, some of it was money. Anybody in the anime industry making money, which is at times seemingly at times a novel concept. And the big thing was he he started off with luck because he got Dragon Ball Z. And yeah. that is probably the most profitable thing imaginable and still generating profit. It's the evergreen of all evergreens, to say the least. And then as they grew it, they grew it slowly. Because remember, it's like you had Yu Yu Hakusho and Dragon Ball for the longest time. That's what most people knew. And then it wasn't until, I want to say, closer to 2003, 2004, they start to branch out into other animes. Fruits that Basket. Are like, oh, yep, Fruits Basket. And then a few other ones. I think Kitty Grade was one of their other ones. They yeah, they did, did pretty well with Kitty Grade, if I recall. Yeah, and then Spiral as well. And so people, oh, really? they started Spiral? reaching out to the heart. Yeah, that was one of the first ones. So to reach out it and start well. releasing wow. others. Well, no, I don't think it did well. But it was one of the first ones they did outside of the mainstream and reach out to, I guess, the more core fan. And then it was interesting that after that, the next big one that really did well, of course, was Full Metal Alchemist. When you add that, it all worked out to them because that's how they got that valuation for Navarre. And so they get that. And then, of course, as you said, you got the evergreens and they keep trugging along. They have the corporate backing. And so it all went well for them. And then the SH hit the fan, as we know, with Jenny on. And then with the partnership ADV decided to do. And so that meant they could pick up the crumbs and they just got stronger on strength on strength, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Well, add in a couple of other developments and Funimation is basically where they are now. Yeah, and so there's still back. things, obviously, they had to grow as they continue as the things change. You talk about streaming platforms, you talk about dubbing and all sorts of things. So Yeah, coming back to the whole Crunchyroll story, and once again, it 
AT&T took an interest in HBO and basically Warner Brothers to help because of its library to help drive HBO Max. And how many streaming services does AT&T and Warner Media have under that umbrella? Is it is it just HBO Max, Crunchyroll? There's a few others. There's right? a few others. Like I think Boomerang is in there, which is kind of like the Adult Swim and um, Cartoon Network stuff. Like there's so many things. And then remember, I'm not sure where TBS and TNT factor in there too. Like there's so many things. You know what I mean? The Turner Broadcasting word that factor, which is part stuff. of yeah, part of the whole thing. But to settle a few debts, they have to sell off something, I guess. And the redheaded stepchild or orange-headed stepchild known as Crunchyroll, I guess, is being put up for adoption. Well, of all the specialized streaming services, you have to agree that it has been the most profitable and stuff like that compared to a lot of others. So Yeah, something yeah. you have to you have to sell value to get value, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So that leads us like you just brought up obviously. Sony is a possibility since they're brought up as a possible buyer. Remind you, they'll probably have to pay more for it. And that would be ironic if that does happen. But I'm sure on the Japanese side, they would pray to God that does not happen. Because remember when Crunchyroll and Funimation had their partnership, so to speak, what happened was licensing costs and all that went down because people weren't competing with each other. So the revenues for the Japanese went down, which probably does not make them happy. And then the other thing is, if they come together as well, they may try to get on more committees and try to accelerate, of course, their original productions and stuff like that. So that won't help them either. Kind of like when we talked about Netflix and its involvement Mm -hmm. in that. Okay, so talk about possible suitors. Netflix was a possible suitor. Maybe, maybe not. I see, I don't see I don't think you would think of it that way for either Amazon and Netflix they'd be out of the equation though if they were they'd probably kick the tires out anyone but of course as we said Universal uh, Comcast is I never thought of Universal since they tried at one point of course but they have their their Peacock service that just yeah, started I was gonna say Universal kind of has all their money tied up I mean uh, don't think any other major streaming platforms are going to be willing to take this on, right? Yeah, that's it. That's where it gets interesting. So, what happens? Like, yeah, it'd be hard to say how you want to sell it. That's the question mark. So, well, the better question is: Is it going to be sold? Because they're maybe they're putting this out there, but who knows? Which and way even for example, as we say, if they do sell it to Sony, and we know Sony is integrating all their. Uh, things together and stuff like that if they're related for example the anime sphere then they would have to work again with Funimation supposedly there was issues between both camps between Funimation and Crunchyroll when they were working together and stuff like that there was like it was working but there was still tension between the two groups so to speak they didn't exactly work together as well as people would hope Mm. well that's you know what i mean like it's like two groups and they have their own drama and stuff like that but you never know it's like yeah you can keep working together but at some point you have to be on the same team and playing from the same page you know what i mean because sooner or later something will break the camel's back so that's why you think there'd be issues with a possible sony purchase 
To a degree, but you never know. <laughs> Things can be ironed down and different people and different faces come in and out of companies all the time too, right? Yeah. So well, that yeah. that's a small thing, but something to keep in the back of your mind and something like that too and would give them food for thought if they were thinking of even considering a purchase on the Sony side because they'd probably talk to um, the people on their side to see how they feel and stuff like that because they would put it under that brand for uh, anaplex funimation and all that stuff it's sort of it's it would almost be well not quite but it would almost be like reuniting matsuki and ushazaki or maybe not and then the other thing is what would happen to your subscription price because if there's less competition maybe they'll think you know what maybe it's time to hike up our subscription fees again mm-hmm. i know <laughs> see this is the thing we sometimes this is the dark side of monopoly or one option right yep like we sometimes we complain about competition because we, now if we want a certain exclusive we have to like go with subscribing to three four different services but then sometimes here's the other here's the pendulum coming the other way and the other thing is you don't know if they're going to offer that free version and stuff like that that they have before which they did for Crunchyroll and for Funimation at present. Because remember, you don't get a free version with Amazon or Netflix. You got to pay to play. Okay, this is the, the last Whoa. name is unlikely, but I want to bring them up anyway. Sentai. What about them? I guess that... that they that, do that not pay- have the money. They don't have, they the, do money. Not have the money. Even, even like, with Cool Japan giving them that money, that those millions of dollars is just a drop in the bucket, as we know, because we saw what their first offer was to uh, Sony. And we know relatively what their value was before on the book. So there's no way they can even get close to a billion, even if they did uh, payment options. <laughs> and yeah, what has that at- Cool Japan money done for John Ledford? Really, make me wonder. It, got, it, it, it likely got him more. Got him more interviews on NHK with Aki Shibuya. He was he was a commentator around the time uh, of the Kyoto Animation Fire a year ago. At best, it's exposure. But was that the clout he really needed to build his business? As I said, at best, which really doesn't go very much. And the other thing, as we said on that side before, is they can only get so many things now. It's like what would happen then? They would probably not be able to get many of Funimation and Crunchyroll combined together again because they're just getting the scraps. But they could look at what Discotech's doing and maybe look at some of the other catalog, and they have done that, but it just doesn't seem like they've been as gung-ho about to make it a move going forward. And they had tried uh, SD Blu-ray and it feels like they just gave up on it. Yeah. So? So I see it as a definite no-go. It's like I won't even have them in the conversation, unfortunately. No, I I get it. And really, uh, really bringing them up is just to fill time. Although we fill enough of that already. It'll be interesting to see what happens though. Well, I'm just happy that Sony didn't think it was worth it. Because we need the competition. Yes, but I get the feeling 
You know what? I think we should be realistic with our options and just say the pirates will buy them and they'll all live on Pirate Island. Okay. Before we go tonight, and once again, we will keep up with both the stories we talked about this evening. Before we go tonight, a couple things. One, a quick shout out to Sean Alpha, the host of Geek Ire who I spoke with just before we came on the air tonight, he asked me to not be shy in mentioning that he is going through something really interesting. Sean Alpha, or his real name, Sean Burke, is a former moderator on Facebook back in Ireland. And right now he's in court. He sued Facebook over... Well, he was a moderator on Facebook... That's the short version. And as a moderator, sometimes you're exposed to some difficult material, to say the least. And it's taken a mental toll on him. If you know the story about being a moderator on things like YouTube and Facebook, you are exposed to seeing videos which will never make it and should have no business being on such platforms. But somebody has to stop it. And those that do. Uh, well, let's just say sometimes they are scarred by seeing them in the first place. And that's where that's where Sean is right now. He is he is claiming he has suffered some serious psychological injuries as a, as a consequence of being exposed to explicit content while working for Facebook. He is uh, in a high court in Ireland right now seeking some damages. And We'll put a link to his podcast because he says podcasting to him really helps helps him mentally. He's a fan of this show and the Geek Iron guys, as we mentioned in past episodes, they are, do did panels at Anime Lockdown a couple months ago. Sean, thanks for listening. Hope you're feeling better. There you go. I, he asked me to mention it, so I want to do that as a favor to him. Second... As a few of you already know, last week I did put up another On My Mind. Mohammed likes to call them minis. That's a good way to describe them. Uh, a little mini uh, shot. And this time I told the five-minute story of Fumio Kuno's little masterpiece. Town of... Town of Calm. Company country of cherry blossoms. Once again, it was about a family during the Hiroshima, bom- Hiroshima bombing 75 years ago. The anniversary was last week. The 75th anniversary was last week. And I thought, among all the stories that were out there concerning the bombing, manga, manga-wise, I think this one might have been one of the more underappreciated ones. So I thought, let me tell you a little bit about it. And... James reminded me as we were doing the pre-show meeting for this a couple days ago that this isn't Kuno-sensei's only work on the topic. And I think Seven Seas has published a good chunk of her works since then, too. Well, no, it was just the one in this corner of the world, and that was based on the fact that the um, movie came out over here from Shown Factory and stuff like that. But that movie, interesting enough, and it was from, I believe, the same director that 
did Black Lagoon was from he was from Madhouse. But it was interesting. That one I believe they had to crowdfund some of it and really work together and they spent years getting it done because no one really wanted to put up the money to get that type of story out there, which is really crazy to think of it because it was that was a really touching story too for in this corner of the world. And it was a similar thing, but that was during the war before and then going to just uh, past the bombings and stuff like that. But as we said mm-hmm. for uh, the one you're talking about, uh, Cherry Blossoms, I, I don't know if it's still in print, but if you see a copy in English, Last Gasp was the one that published it. And, and Last it Gasp was, mentioned? Yeah, it was, it was Last food. Gasp, I believe. Or is it? I'm just going to double check. Yep, no, it's it Last is Gasp. Gasp. Sorry, sometimes and... I've heard some people call them Last Gasp, so I'm like, no, it's Last Gasp. Yes. And so, and so for Last Gasp, have... uh, they published it, and it was great. I was hoping that they would, because it's been years since it's been in print, but maybe one day they'll reprint it and stuff like that, because I haven't heard about going on prayer or whatever, but they have reprinted the more famous story of that, uh, Hiroshima bombing and stuff like that barefoot again which they've uh, republished many times before so hopefully they'll give some love to this one too again as one reviewer said Blo- Cherry Blossoms told its stories in whispers rather than screams barefoot again is a scream to say the least and hopefully it'll encourage others to do little short minis in the near future Kevin hmm Actually, there's a few other things we have down the pipe, and hopefully the listeners out there will have a chance to look forward to them. Anyway, that's just about it, so let me repeat this one more time, Kevin. If you have any questions or comments, or flames, or hate mail, animeroundtable at gmail.com is our email address. We're on Twitter and Instagram, at animeroundtable. AnimeRoundtable.com is our website, show notes, and archive of past episodes. Yes, we are on Discord, technically. And also, if you're listening, please give us a review on wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and the like, because the reviews will make sure other people get a chance to listen to this show and any positive feedback, well, any feedback probably wouldn't, would be good. It'd be appreciated, yes. Yes, it really would be appreciated. Especially if you rate us five out of five. Yeah. Well, there you go. Happy now, Kevin? So I had to repeat it again at the end. Did you even think the beginning? Bubbles. I lost track. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. I did. Okay. Tiny bubbles in my <laughs> wine. There it goes. I made that joke about Don Ho. And yesterday would have been Don Ho's uh, 90th birthday. He's a, he's a famous Hawaiian, uh, Hawaiian singer. And his signature song was called Tiny Bubbles. But at a point towards the end of his life, when he performed concerts, he kept joking, we performed Tiny Bubbles at the beginning. And then by the end of the concert, I forgot whether or not we performed Tiny Bubbles. So we performed Tiny Bubbles again at the end. <laughs> Oh, you know, you know what I wanted to say, actually. Okay, say it, say it, and then we'll uh, say goodnight to everybody.
we've done more than 100 episodes combined. If you factor in the old era and the new era. Yeah, that's right. You, you did mention that before I hit the record button tonight. I, I lost count to be quite honest with you. As did I. We've been around for that many episodes finally. Well, okay. So officially there's 77 episodes from version one. And this is excluding the one that you never put up when uh, Neil and Adam reunited one last time. Then you have what? This is going to be up, and we have 21 episodes. 22 episodes now. Yeah. With this. And then you can include the Don't Get Me Started with Neil when Neil came back for one episode. And. Basically, we started version two, and then you have the the one the intro episode in April, which was the episode zero of version two, I guess, which mm-hmm. was when uh, that was when I recorded for the first time, and then you did the one in February of 2018 with James. If that's if you basically count that to as well. get our basically to reintroduce ourselves, right, James? It had been a while by that point. Yeah, no, it has been a while, so we just did something to get us back in the groove, as they say. Well, I tend to think of it less on number of episodes and more on number of years. It's been more than 14 years. So we're probably at like 102, like 102 or so now, give or take, depending on which ones you want to count. Uh, Yeah, and then if you count everything else, we're over 110 recordings altogether. Maybe yeah, with the digests and whatnot. The digests and the uh, solo shots. So we're, we're we're closer to 120, I believe, altogether. Hey, happy to have done it. Hopefully the listeners have uh, had a hoot listening to whichever ones they wanted to listen to. I'll, I'll be so shocked how many have listened to all of them. At least some but of us have. Listening. Yeah. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for your support. You're welcome. <laughs> It's been fun. Well, that's about it for everything we have this recording. Thanks for listening. Good night from Toronto. And join us again for another edition of the Anime Roundtable. I don't know what's more likely, getting to 200 or the Leafs getting out of the first round.